Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the podcast about Texas history, culture, and everything Texan. I'm your host, Ken Wise, and it's time for episode three. Today we're going to cover one of the earliest battles of the Texas Revolution. So let's go back to 1835 and get wise about Texas. Now here in Texas, we consider the first battle of the Texas Revolution to have occurred on October 2nd, 1835, when the citizens of the town of Gonzales rejected Mexican army efforts to take back a cannon that the army had given to the settlers to, for defense against the Indians. The defiant settlers drew a picture of the cannon on a tattered piece of cloth, along with the famous words, come and take it. When confronted by the Mexican troops, the settlers fired not only the cannon, but also some rifles, killing two Mexican soldiers and sending the troops back to their camp. That skirmish is considered the first engagement of the Texas Revolution, but today we're going to talk about one of the first larger battles, known as the Battle of Concepcion. First, we need to set the scene and discuss the Spanish missions in Texas. In the 1700s, the Spanish attempted to convert the Indians living in Texas to Christianity and make proper Spanish citizens out of them. To accomplish this goal, they built a series of missions in the territory. The earliest missions were begun in the 1600s, and some of the more famous ones around San Antonio were built in the 1700s. Now, a Spanish mission is often thought of as a church, but it's really much more than that. It's a village. The purpose was to get the Indians of the area to gather and live at the mission. The priests would teach them Christianity. They taught them agriculture and a generally more settled way to live. Usually, soldiers were also stationed at a nearby presidio or fort to protect the mission. The mission in our story today was originally called La Purisma Concepcion de los Hassani when it was founded in 1716. By the way, Concepcion is known as the first mission because of its early founding date. When relocating to an area south of San Antonio, the mission was renamed La Purisma Concepcion de Acuna, but it's now just commonly referred to as Mission Concepcion. The mission church was built in 1755 and today remains much the same as it was 260 years ago. In fact, I was just there last month, and it really is neat to see something that's so well-preserved from that time period, especially in Texas. Mission Concepcion was one of a line of several missions on the San Antonio River, south of what was then called Bejar, and of course what we now know as San Antonio. Another one of those missions, incidentally, was San Antonio de Valero, which we now call the Alamo. During this time, in late 1835, Stephen F. Austin had returned from an imprisonment in Mexico, and war was clearly on the horizon. General Martin Perfecto de Cos was stationed at Bejar with about 750 men. Some were garrisoned in the Alamo, by the way. Austin was in command of the Texas Army at Gonzales, which was about 400 men. The Texans began marching toward Bejar on October 13, 1835. Coase had arrived in Bejar a few days before to take command of the troops. Coase, by the way, was the brother-in-law of the new Mexican dictator Santa Ana. Austin and the Texas Army arrived near Bejar on October the 20th and camped near Salado Creek, south of town. This was also south of the San Antonio missions. The Texans technically were laying siege to the city, 
but one several citizens escaped the city of San Antonio and many joined the Texans. One of the prominent citizens who escaped to join the Texans was Jim Bowie, who at the time was married to a lady named Ursula Veramendi. The Veramendis were one of Behar's most prominent families. Bowie had also persuaded some others in town to slip out and join the Texas Army. Bowie and James Fannin took command of what Austin designated the 1st Battalion, which was about 90 soldiers. Austin ordered them to locate a suitable campsite for the Army closer to town. Bowie, Fannin, and his men had located Mission San Francisco de Espada, which was located south of Mission Concepcion. The army arrived at Espada on October the 27th, and Austin immediately told Bowie and Fannin to go out and find the next place that they could camp that was even closer to Behar. Now, if you read Austin's order to Bowie on October 27th, he instructed him to find a spot that had good, secure pasture for the horses and would be secure for the men also. Austin actually wrote several orders that day, and he ordered Bowie also to try and scout the edges of Behar and determine what preparations had been made, if any, to defend the town. Austin also ordered William Barrett Travis to organize a cavalry company of between 50 and 80 men. He issued an order to organize the camp, and he issued another order that talked about how the guards were to perform and the times of the guard changes, etc. It's very interesting to study those orders. Bowie and Fannin took what turned out to be 92 men and marched north to find the next suitable campsite. They inspected two missions, San Juan and San Jose, but they decided on a spot about 500 yards from Mission Concepcion. Now, they found a very interesting tactical advantage of this spot. They found a bend in the river near the mission that had two timber lines that came together like the point of a triangle. Behind these timber lines, there were cliffs, and they're described as between 6 and 10 feet. They could hide behind these cliffs, and then there was 50 to 100 yards of river bottom before the actual San Antonio River. And the Texans took advantage of this setup by splitting their force into two groups, each group taking one of the sides of that timber triangle. So the advancing Mexican army would be hit by fire from both sides, but there wouldn't be a true crossfire that would endanger the Texas army. Each wing of the the Texas army would have the cliff and the river to their rear, The men would be able to move up and down the line behind the cliffs and they wouldn't be seen. The Texans also posted lookouts in the Mission Concepcion Tower, which Bowie wrote in his battle report as, quote, overlooking the whole country, close quote. Now remember, you know, in 1935, the tallest structure in the whole area would have been those missions. So if you had lookouts in the Mission Tower, they could have seen easily all the way into the town of Behar. During this time period, word had gotten back to Koss that the Texas Army had been split, that the advance group under Bowie and Fannin had moved north, and that Austin's main force remained behind at Espada. So Koss decided to attack at this point, knowing that the Army was split. On the morning of October 28, 1835, there was a heavy fog. It was so thick that none of the guards and not even the lookouts in the mission tower could see Coase and the advancing army coming from Behar. In fact, the Mexicans had an advanced guard that rode right up to the Texan line and didn't know it because of the thick fog. The sentinel who 
discovered these advance guards was none other than Henry Carnes. Now, Henry Carnes was uh, the man who informed Sam Houston of the fall of the Alamo several months later. He also fought at San Jacinto and later than that distinguished himself as a ranger and Indian fighter. The Mexicans immediately fired on the Texans and the Texans retreated all except for Henry Carnes. He charged the Mexican guard and fired on him with his pistol, which actually caused the Mexicans to retreat. Now, remember back then the pistols were flintlocks. He had one and only one shot. So one can imagine him running at those Mexican guards and shooting that pistol. Uh, and luckily they decided to turn around in case there were other Texans. Little did they know he was the only one. Now there were some shots exchanged, but nobody could see anything for the fog. So the shots really didn't have any much effect. Um, and at that first firing, a couple of interesting incidents, one man had his powder horn sh- shot away and another man took a musket ball in the stomach and everybody thought he was, he was going to be killed, but it had actually, he was carrying his Bowie knife in his waistband and the ball hit the knife instead of him. So the Bowie knife actually was not only a great knife, but it also worked well as a shield. It's reported though that he was bruised so badly he could barely walk, much less fight. Now, shortly after sunrise, the fog finally lifted, and when it did, much to the Texans' dismay, they discovered that they had been surrounded by the Mexican army. So they formed up and used their triangle of timber to their advantage, preparing to fight. About 8.30 on the morning of the 28th, the Mexicans advanced and began firing on the Texans. The Texans had planned to use the cliff to their advantage by creating that situation I described earlier. One man could pop up in front of the cliff or several men fire and then duck down behind the cliff to reload while other men rose and fired and Bowie described the Mexican fire as being quote one continued blaze and he described the Texan firing as being much more deliberate but also much more deadly after about 10 minutes the Mexicans wheeled a cannon onto the field onto the right flank of the army and uh, Fannin had command of that right flank and they began firing. Now this is where it got a little bit exciting. The Mexicans started firing the cannon, which is reported to have been a four-pounder, and they were loading it with canister and grape shot. Then, at one point, when they were about to fire, Bowie reported that the cannon, quote, cannon was cleared as if by magic, close quote. What he meant was that as the Mexican gun crew reached to fire the cannon, somebody on the Texan side killed the guy that was going to fire the cannon. And Bowie reported that the Texans cleared the cannon three times. So one guy tried to fire, he was killed. The next guy tried to fire, he was killed. The next guy came up to fire, he was killed. So three Mexican Army artillerymen tried to touch off that cannon and each one died for their trouble. Bowie also noted that each time the cannon fired, the Texans would advance after the shot and almost reached the cannon. Uh, He also reported that not only was that cannon cleared three times, but that the charge was broken another three times, and that the Mexicans only got off a total of five cannon shots before they decided to retreat and surrender the cannon to the Texans. So you can imagine when he writes that they were checking the charge, I would imagine that 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 meant that members of the gun crew that were trying to load the cannon were being killed as they were trying to load. So we don't know how many total Mexican artillerymen were killed, 
but it was enough that they gave up and surrendered that cannon to the Texans. Bowie estimates that the Texans defeated a force of over 360 Mexicans with none wounded and only one killed. Now, I want to mention the one Texan that died at the battle. Richard Andrews was his name. He had come from Georgia to Texas in 1827 with his brother Micah. He settled around Fort Bend, which is present-day Richmond, Texas. He later moved to a town that was then called Mina. The town of Mina became later the town of Bastrop. He joined the army, and he ended up getting wounded in the Gonzales skirmish of October 2nd. When the Battle of Concepcion began, Bowie sent him and others from Bowie's side of the line, which was the left flank, over to reinforce Fannin. Now remember, the tactic was that you were to run behind that cliff out of sight of the Mexican army. Andrews and others, however, instead of staying behind the cliff, broke and ran across the plain and exposed themselves to the Mexican fire. Andrews was hit on his left side just below his ribs. Now, one account of that uh, indicated that he was hit by grape shot from a cannon and fell and died almost immediately. But a gentleman named Noah Smithwick, who later wrote his memoirs when he was in his 90s, was at the battle, and he writes that he actually, that Andrews went down on the field, he ran to Andrews' side and tried to lift him up, at which point Richard Andrews said, I'm killed, just lay me down. Uh, Andrews did die on the field and was the first casualty of the Texas Revolution. Now, this is interesting when you're doing historical research um, to read these different reports and kind of cross-check it because uh, a lot of the facts tend to get muddled. Smithwick uh, was at the battle but wrote his memoirs in his 90s. The other... uh, account of the battle was in a letter from one of the soldiers who fought for Fannin's company, and he was writing a letter to his sweetheart recounting the battle. So the guy in Fannin's company where Andrews was headed but never actually reached was really just writing about what someone had told him happened, Uh, and Smithwick was writing presumably as someone who was there at Andrews' side. So it's very important uh, when you're reading these histories to sort of cross-check that, which I always try to do. In any event, Smithwick estimated that about 60 Mexicans were killed in about 10 minutes. He notes only Andrews was killed and another man was slightly wounded, which Smithwick contended in his memoirs was less than the usual results from a bicycle race or a football game. So he wrote that in the 1890s. Uh, Sounds like bicycling and football was a lot tougher in the 1800s. Smithwick also noted that the wounded Mexican soldiers were pitifully begging for their lives on the field, uh, lives that Smithwick wrote Texans had no intention of taking. He wrote the following quote about that, quote, how our humanity was repaid, let Goliad and the Alamo testify, close quote. And you'll learn what that meant when we cover the Alamo and the Battle of Goliad. Austin arrived about an hour after the battle, much to the dismay of the rest of the army who wanted to fight the Mexican army. The friars of the mission uh, petitioned the Texans to allow them to carry off the wounded and dead Mexican soldiers to Bejar. And uh, Smithwick also reported that Richard Andrews knew that the battle was won before he died. Bowie also recalled that if he could only have been able to communicate with Austin, and gotten the army to arrive earlier, he thinks the Texans would have taken Behar by noon. 
reporting the victory to the political leaders, Austin celebrated how brilliant a victory it was against an overwhelming force. Now, it certainly was a great victory and a great start to the Texas Revolution. I'd like to make a couple of observations about this battle. The one casualty, Richard Andrews died because he basically disobeyed orders along with others and broke across the field in haste. He was just the unlucky one. The Texans were fairly undisciplined and a little bit rash in a fight, which was always a problem throughout the revolution all the way to San Jacinto, although it seemed to pay off at San Jacinto. And there's one important observation coming out of this battle that I think has some merit. Remember that Henry Carnes ran off the Mexican advance guard just by charging him with a pistol. Also, the measured and deadly accurate rifle fire forced the Mexicans to retreat fairly quickly despite their superior numbers. And I think one thing that some commentators write about is that the ease with which the Texans won this battle might have given them a little bit of false confidence that was manifested later at the Alamo and also at Goliad. Uh, The Mexican army, though, also displayed its weakness uh, because their troops lost heart and broke fairly quickly, and we would see that also later in the revolution. But you got to remember that the Mexican army, uh, to the extent they were trained, had been trained by Spanish officers in what I call European-style warfare. Uh, The Texans, on the other hand, were frontiersmen. Some of them had military training, but many of them didn't. And they didn't adhere to the same sort of customs and rules on how they fought their battles that the Mexicans did. And the Battle of Concepcion really showed that for the first time. And we would see it in a much starker fashion later during the Revolution. And it really paid off for the Texans. There can be no doubt, however, that after the Battle of Concepcion, the Mexicans certainly knew how serious Texas was about independence. Now we come to the part of the show I like to call Getting There, where I'll tell you how to go to and see where some of these events occurred. I went to the battleground and as near as I could estimate where it was and Mission Concepcion last month to check it out. Mission Concepcion is located at 807 Mission Road in San Antonio. It is a gorgeous and very well-preserved example of the Spanish missions in Texas. The battleground is a few hundred yards to the west of the church, roughly to the west, and is now a park. And if you go stand near the western edge of that park, it's not hard to imagine what Bowie and Fannin must have seen, although the course of the river most certainly has altered since 1835. You still can get a feel for what they were looking at. Now, near the playground and pavilion in Concepcion Park is a marker honoring that first casualty of the Revolution, Richard Andrews. Noah Smithwick wrote that they buried Andrews beneath a pecan tree on the battlefield. Now, I don't think his grave has ever been located, but that's something certainly that would be interesting to find. Smithwick doesn't describe specifically the location of the tree, but he did mention in his memoirs that the battlefield had become a cotton field in the 1890s, so the grave likely will never be found. And by the way, Andrews County in West Texas and the county seat is called Andrews, And those are named for Richard Andrews. Well, that does it for episode three of Wise About Texas. I hope you know a little bit more about the Texas Revolution. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. That helps people find out about the show. Go like 
Wise About Texas on Facebook, and don't forget to share that page. You can email me with comments and suggestions for episodes at host at wiseabouttexas.com and tell your friends we're on the web at www.wiseabouttexas.com. So until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.